ago, I did an episode on voice assistants, which are software offerings optimized to parse human language as it's spoken, or in some cases as it's typed out. And the primary innovation behind those applications is allowing them to be competent listeners, and then reaching out into the ether, the internet, or sometimes offerings contained within other apps owned by the voice assistants owners, and then summoning some relevant information or triggering relevant tasks when asked to do so by the user. So if I'm using Amazon's Alexa voice assistant, I might speak within range of an Echo device's microphones a request to set a timer for 20 minutes, and the voice assistant will then confirm that request, set a timer, and in 20 minutes let me know that the timer has reached zero. Similarly, if I'm using Apple's Siri voice assistant, I might speak a request within range of my iPhone's microphone that I'd like to send a text to a friend, and I would speak that text, including each bit of punctuation, and then say send, and that friend then receives a transcribed text version of the message I spoke out loud. These are, according to the data we have on such things, fairly useful tools to have on hand, Voice assistants have yet to become the ad placement paradise or voice-activated buying stuff stimulant that many of the companies behind them had hoped for. Few people are using them to buy things on Amazon, and few are willing to tolerate an abundance of ads in between starting timers or sending transcribed text messages. But they are popular for those relatively simple, practical use cases, probably because these use cases allow us to utilize existing technologies in new ways, which is similar to what smartphones did for existing technologies that we already had on our laptops and desktop computers. They're a repackaging of what was already there, which in turn makes existing tools more useful, or just differently useful, because of the new context in which those tools can be leveraged. And because of that new convenience and the intuitive access they enable, it also makes these tools available to more people, which is also important. The core technologies enabling these new use cases, then, may not have resulted in the outcomes their creators had hoped for or expected, but they did spark new habits and routines and even social expectations. It may not be common still in most situations to hear a stranger speak a text message into thin air with all the punctuation included, but it's also not an alien and strange thing when someone does. It's unusual, but it's not unlikely or impossible or flabbergasting. Before the advent of voice assistants, such behavior would have been truly bizarre though, to the point of inexplicability. Sometimes, then, our sci-fi, snazzy new technologies serve more as rebundlings, repackagings, and recompilings of existing tools so those tools can be more conveniently and capably used in different contexts. And that process of reshaping and making something more convenient in more spaces can itself lead to all sorts of changed behaviors and expectations. We had social media before the smartphone, after all, but apps like Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and YouTube became the algorithmic behemoths they are today because of how different it can be to engage with and create such content from a device that's more 
personal, that fits in our pockets, that's ever-present, as opposed to one that sits on a desk or table, and which is not wired up with microphones and cameras right out of the box. What I'd like to talk about today is another technology that is arguably a variation of that same technological concept, the rearranging and repackaging of existing things into new shapes and contexts, but one that could have an even greater impact on all sorts of things, from the work we do to our social norms to the way we live our lives. You're listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. The piece I'd like to start with today is from an independent newsletter called AI Snake Oil, which, as you might suspect from the name, is not 100% unbiased on the topic I'll be covering today. But I found this piece and its headline to be a reasonably accurate, if clearly editorialized, assessment of the core subject of this episode. And that piece is entitled, Chat GPT is a Bullshit Generator, but it can still be amazingly useful. Before we dive into ChatGPT specifically, let's talk for a moment about artificial intelligence more generally. When we say artificial intelligence or AI today, we're typically not talking about artificial general intelligence or AGI, which is a synthetic intelligence similar to human intellect, like us but made by us basically, and thus capable of all the things we are capable of, but potentially even more so, better, with greater capacity, smarter, things like that. Today's AI, instead, are generally tools that are made using a variety of methods, many of which these days involve training software via various means, sometimes by having it play a game millions of times to learn how that game works, sometimes by having it ingest hundreds of millions of images with attached metadata that tells the AI what's in those images, Whatever approach is used, you end up with software that is capable of some pretty neat and at times intelligent-seeming stuff. But to be clear from the get-go, this software, as far as we know at least, is not intelligent in the sentient, conscious sense of the word. It is smart in all the ways that software is typically smart. It's capable of things that humans simply are not typically capable of, but more so. It's a really complex and impressive app, basically. And to get this out of the way as well, most analysts do not think the AI apps we have today are likely to just wake up one day and become sentient in the artificial general intelligence sense. That's not impossible, as we frankly do not know what intelligence or consciousness even is in a concrete way. So it could be that if you feed an AI enough data and tags on that data, it will one day become something like us. But based on what we know now, at least, that seems unlikely. So we probably won't accidentally create a Terminator or paperclip maximizer that destroys the universe in order to make an infinite number of paperclips out of all matter. And we probably won't make synthetic replacement humans either. Now that said, as a result of all the smarts and money that have been poured into today's AI-related projects, we live in an age of truly impressive, whiz-bang, futuristic software that can do all sorts of neat things, including 
and this is a very partial list, besting the world's highest-ranked human players at games ranging from chess to Go to StarCraft to Diplomacy, figuring out how to fold every so-far-discovered protein, artificially aging people in photos and videos, making them older or younger at the push of a button, allowing people to upload old diary entries, and then allowing them to have a conversation with a chatbot version of their younger selves, who wrote those entries, creating stills from films that do not exist, detecting pneumonia in patients that doctors miss, creating artificial characters and making them have conversations with each other or with humans, generating scripts and screenplays and staging guides, writing books and blog posts and poetry and fairy tales, drawing illustrations, expanding existing paintings and photographs, animating photographs, rephrasing and summarizing long, complex writings, creating new, tangible products for production, including things like chairs and buildings, and then creating variations of those products and blueprints, creating new drugs, new treatment plans, and new dietary regimens optimized for individuals, creating legal documents, parsing legal documents, and negotiating legal matters on a user's behalf coding websites and apps about as well as an average professional coder, and passing coding exams, legal exams, and medical exams as well, predicting climate outcomes for individual governments based on proposed regulations and policies, identifying people's age from photographs of them, making convincing fake photographs of real people and fake people who don't exist, creating animations and voice copies of the same, analyzing satellite images, creating and detecting and removing malware, passing high school and university general exams, creating exams, teaching users about essentially any topic, and in at least one confirmed case apiece so far, negotiating on a user's behalf with customer service to lower their Adobe and Comcast subscription fees. Again, that is a wildly incomplete list of just recent news items over the past month or so related to this topic. And that's part of why the world of AI and news related to it has been such a boom industry of late. These programs have been powerful for several years now, doing really impressive things. But up till now, many of their feats have been proofs of concept meant to demonstrate their potential within mostly research-oriented fields. The big difference today, and this has been the case for a little over a year at this point, is that we're beginning to see practical, useful versions of these tools accessible by the everyday person. And that has converted these AI systems from research projects and proofs of concept into real deal tools that you can go use right now. And people are doing that and doing often quite creative and interesting things with them. The ChatGPT AI system mentioned in that headline is one such new tool released to the public in late November 2022. And it pretty much immediately blew the internet's mind. Even folks who have been playing with these other tools, doing all these wild, impressive things for the past year plus, were mind-blown almost immediately by what this new app allowed them to casually accomplish. 
The reason ChatGPT has garnered so much mostly digital ink is that it's a casual user-optimized interface for another tool called GPT 3.5, which is an upgraded version of the earlier GPT-3 model which itself is what is called a large language model that has been trained with both supervised and reinforcement learning. A large language model is just what it sounds like, a collection of words and sentences and paragraphs, a huge quantity of actual writing, and that allows the software to figure out probabilistic distribution for characters, words, sentences, and so on. So these AI do not understand what they are saying, they just know what tends to come after what in bodies of language related to different topics. And with large enough collections of training data and well-built software, that is sufficient to sound real and to often produce new writings that not just make sense but can actually be useful for all sorts of purposes. Supervised learning in this context refers to training AI software with data that has labels like the aforementioned images that have metadata attached, which describe what is in and what is happening in a given image or given collection of copy. And reinforcement learning in this context usually means rewarding certain behaviors and then allowing the software to operate over and over and over again, learning over time the best way to achieve those rewarded outcomes, which often means producing useful explanations, intelligible to humans, grammar, and things like that. None of this explanation of what AI are and what GPT is, though, is necessary to understand if you want to use these tools. And that's part of why this space is blowing up right now. A complex, powerful thing has been brought down to earth in a new way. And ChatGPT, like earlier apps and access points for this type of software, like DALI, Midjourney, AI Dungeon, and other such products, are the packaged and distributed outcome of all that labor. It's big, complex stuff plugged into an appealing and intuitive interface. So you can learn to use that interface almost immediately and never have to know about or even care what's happening beneath the surface. Kind of like how old-school computers were eventually made mainstream when they were sold prepackaged and ready to go without requiring anyone learn to solder wires or code their own operating system. And that was taken a step further with the introduction of the graphical interface and the mouse. To get more specific with ChatGPT, this particular tool is in experimental beta, as of the day I'm recording this, and is widely available for free to anyone who creates an account with the company that made it, OpenAI. That account also allows you to fiddle around with their other products, like DALI 2, which is also fun and more image-focused, allowing you to tell it what image you want, and then it does its best to provide you with what you describe. ChatGPT, in contrast, is text-based, and it's a bit like engaging with the most sophisticated chatbot or voice assistant ever developed. In my own experience with ChatGPT, I've had it code a website with some web app functionality for me. I've had it outline potential long-form writings and asked it to write a few chapters of a potential book. I've had it write poetry. I've asked it for relationship advice on someone else's behalf. And the person on whose behalf I was asking said it was excellent advice. I've asked it philosophical questions and science questions and economic questions. I asked it to summarize how heat pumps work, and I asked it to make me a business model for an incomplete idea I had but wanted to flesh out. 
it's better at some of these tasks than others in its current iteration. And my experience, and this seems to be the general consensus now that more people have played with it and have gotten over their initial, wow, this is magic and will change everything response, which I absolutely felt too. But my experience now is that it's remarkably good at some things, incredibly but confidently bad at other things, and enters a glitchy fail state semi-regularly now that more people are using it, and its capacity is thus somewhat strained, which has made it a lot less useful, as I'm sure you can imagine. On that first point, it's very good at things like summarizing, taking existing content, since that's what it's trained on, and regurgitating it into bullet points, outlines, thesis statements, and the like. Its training data only goes up to 2021, so it's missing a lot of current events and new data points, but up till that point, it's relatively well-informed and competent at explaining and teaching things in plain English. It's also a pretty solid developer, and though it makes a lot of mistakes, it can usually correct those mistakes if questioned about them. And it's decently skilled at explaining why it does things the way it does and how things might be improved upon. So if you give it code that is broken and you can't figure out why it's broken, there is a non-zero chance ChatGPT can find the error in your code and explain to you why it is an error and then provide you with a fix for that error, which is a pretty useful utility, especially since it does all of this in plain language. It's also a strangely competent writer of prose and poetry, and does a decent job of writing formulaic scripts and books as well, though again it is trained on a huge corpus of stuff that has already been made. So while it's got a fun novelty factor in that it can sometimes surprise you, it's probably not going to come up with anything truly original and groundbreaking. A lot of its perceived quality is actually based on the fact that software wrote what you're reading, and the impressiveness of its insights and advice and the stories it comes up with are typically the same. Its responses are impressive in part because it is a piece of software, and it's impressive that any piece of software is doing something like this this capably, but the stuff that it outputs would be a lot less impressive if the same was coming from a human being. It fails a lot, too, and this is seemingly at least partially the consequence of its popularity and how much processing power it consumes, which point at some other limitations of this application. OpenAI is reportedly losing a lot of money during this beta period, during which it is not charging anything to use this tool. And while it's no doubt gaining useful insights into how they might improve ChatGPT, there will be a ceiling on how much they're willing to expend in that effort. So at some point, the free meal will disappear, and we will learn how much folks are actually willing to spend on these use cases at which it's quite skilled, and whether that is a sustainable price point for the people who have made it. The reason I thought that headline about ChatGPT being a bullshit generator, but a useful one, was fairly on point, is that it will often tell you things that are not true, a tendency that's sometimes called hallucinating in the context of large language models, because again, they don't know what they're saying, but they make connections between the data on which they are trained. And there's consequently no way to know, without fact-checking everything this tool tells you, whether what you're being told is legitimate. So it has the capacity to create an endless stream of interesting, useful things, but scattered throughout that stream will be pockets of nonsense. 
and there's no easy way to know which pieces are brilliant and useful and which are factually incorrect or simply nonsensical because it sounds equally confident about what it tells you either way, which unfortunately poisons the well for a lot of potential use cases like using this app as a mentor to teach you things or using it as a robo-journalist that will sleeplessly and diligently report the news. That capacity to produce things endlessly also plays into a concern that's usually referred to as endless media, which basically posits that because these tools make it simple and cheap, right now often free, to produce infinite mountains of content, be it writing or images or music or movies or whatever else, we could be entering a period in which the vast majority of stuff being made and being made available to us is churned out by this type of program. It would not take long, in theory, to end up with a 1,000 to 1 or greater ratio of AI-made to human-made stuff, because it can take a long time for a human to write a book or make a painting, while an AI program can produce millions of each every single minute, automatically uploading all that media to various distribution channels. This is a concern in part because it would likely put those makers of things out of business in part because it could lead to a period in which human concerns and ideals and dreams and everything else are no longer directly represented in our work. All of that stuff instead filtered through this software, which doesn't actually understand anything it's making. And in part because that could then lead to a cycle in which these tools are trained on the work of other AI, their corpuses of training data polluted by the vast outputs of their software kin, which over time could lead to more hallucinating and the infinite re-referencing of old stuff. A situation that would be further reinforced by the inability of human makers to make a living from the work they produce far more slowly than their AI competitors. This is still just a theory, a possible worrisome future, but it is thinkable and thus worth considering and bulwarking against, lest we stumble into such a scenario and suffer its arguably quite negative consequences without our eyes wide open about what's happening. A less devastating potentiality is that some things could be replaced by these technologies, and that replacement could lead to a variety of positive outcomes that are nonetheless quite uncomfortable for many people for maybe quite a long time. Just as Photoshop replaced a lot of tedious tasks that designers and photographers of all flavors previously had to spend their time on, so too could these technologies reduce the grunt work necessarily endured by content creators of all kinds. This could be a mixed bag, though, just as Photoshop was a mixed bag for designers. It empowered designers to have more control over every element of their work and allowed them to do more and often higher quality things in less time. But it also put a lot of old school designers out of business and forever changed the nature of the industry and the professionals in it. Likewise, folks who write blogs and generate copy for marketing campaigns might be out of luck and out of work, just as folks who shoot stock photographs might have a rough time of it in the coming years as these AI tools produce similar products more rapidly at a far lower cost and with incredible, compared to today's options, customizability.
Some folks in the venture capital world have speculated that ChatGPT, or something like it, would make an incredible search engine interface, serving as something like a combination of Amazon's Alexa, Google's search function, and Wikipedia for those who use it, allowing them to use plain language to ask questions, produce stuff, search for things, do calculations, and learn something about whatever it is they're studying. It would allow them to do just about anything, basically. That would require lifting the chronological cap on this type of AI's knowledge and allowing it to access the internet, which ChatGPT cannot currently do, presumably to help it avoid the issues faced by earlier chatbot AIs, many of which became white supremacist misogynists shortly after tapping into the content shared on social media, which speaks volumes about social media, unfortunately, but is also potentially a hurdle to making this kind of use case a reality. But such an approach, if it were to someday come to fruition, would potentially make this type of tool worrying for big companies like Google as well, not just for independent makers of things. That said, it could be that Google gets there first, replacing their own product with something like this, as they reportedly have something like ChatGPT already built, and it apparently blows ChatGPT out of the water in essentially every way, according to those who have used it. But Google is also reportedly not planning to release their competing option anytime soon for reputational reasons. They don't want to release a half-baked product onto the market, and they're likely waiting to see what mistakes ChatGPT and OpenAI make with their release so they can incorporate those lessons into their own offering before ever making it public, which they might someday do, though this space is moving fast enough that a new paradigm could arise before that happens. Or they may decide that it's simply not possible to maintain their existing business model, which is heavily ad-based, using such a replacement interface. And they could thus instead try to keep this type of technology from ever replacing their tried-and-true browser-based search box model. It's also being reported that OpenAI has their own next-step GPT-4 model, which is orders of magnitude more powerful in the sense of having much larger language models to work from compared to GPT-3 and the GPT-3.5 model that ChatGPT is using. So this is a neck-and-neck neck race right now, being run by some of the world's wealthiest and most powerful tech and investor entities. And we don't even really know where they're racing to quite yet, but everyone seems to have a sense from the at-times awe-inspiring bits and pieces that we're able to see and play around with from the outside, that this could be the next big thing. It could shape all media. It could shape the platforms that host the media and how we consume it. It could reshape the entire internet. It could shape how businesses are made and how they fall. And it could determine what our devices look like, how we learn, what we create and how we create it, who has access to what, and all sorts of other fundamental informational, business technological, and communication-related issues. It could also turn out to be nothing, just a blip, like so many other wow-how-cool technologies have turned out to be over the years. It could sputter out or end up being too expensive to keep running. Or it could have major unsolvable flaws, like those also big tech-built racist sexist chatbots from a few years ago. 
The Economist has declared 2023 to be the year that AI finally became useful. And I think that is a fair, if not definitive, bet based on what's happening right now at the tail end of 2022. We don't know where all this is headed, but rearranging things in such a way that communication and information and creation become more attainable to more people is the type of ambition that has sparked new technological and social paradigms in the past. So even if this isn't itself the beginning of a new paradigm, it's very possibly a step toward whatever that next paradigm ends up being. The book I'd like to recommend today is called The End of the World is Just the Beginning, Mapping the Collapse of Globalization by Peter Zihan. This book is written by a guy who is a geopolitical strategist, and he used to work for the think tank Stratfor, but now runs a consultancy where he helps people understand the same general topics. And those topics primarily revolve around the idea that we are moving from the late 90s into the early 2000s paradigm of ever-increasing globalization-related ties between international entities to a period that he believes began around 2012 and which continues at an ever-faster rate today of the splintering of that paradigm, the breaking apart of the post-Soviet 21st century world into a new 21st century world that is defined by different types of alliances, different trading blocks, different military blocks. And he looks at this topic through the lens of transportation, finance, energy, materials, manufacturing, and agriculture. This is a book that's useful not just for the facts that are presented, and there are quite a few facts presented, but also for the analysis provided by the author, who again has a very distinct point of view, but he makes pretty good arguments for why that point of view is worth considering, and why a lot of what's happening in the world today is more intelligible when viewed through that particular lens. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of The End of the World is Just the Beginning by Peter Zahan. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript for this and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. You can find a portfolio of my other projects at understandery.com. And feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm at Colin is my name on Twitter and Instagram, Colin Wright on YouTube and Facebook. And there's a growing collection of other social networks that are blossoming right now, like Mastodon and Post, and even old school entrants like Tumblr that are getting a new polish. I'm on most of those as well. You can find links to my profiles at the aforementioned Colin.io. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.